Hey everybody, it's Adam, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. We hope that our time together will challenge you, encourage you, and inspire you to take the next step in your relationship with Christ. All right, so this week we are starting something brand new here at Melbourne Heights. This week we are starting to encourage everyone in our church, from our youngest kids to our oldest adults, to read through the Bible together. So this morning, before we get into this Bible reading, reading through the Bible together, I want to take our time today to give you a few tips to help you read the Bible more effectively. And I want to spend our time this morning talking about some tips to help you read the Bible more effectively because the Bible, well, the Bible can be an intimidating book for us, right? The Bible can be an intimidating book. I mean, let's just look at the Bible. We'll look at the one that I have in my hands right now. Just look at it. And right as you start looking at it, you notice that there's something a little bit different about the Bible. This Bible is leather-bound, right? A lot of Bibles are leather-bound. But you know something? I've looked in my library, I own over a thousand books, and I don't own a single book that is leather-bound besides the Bible. The Bible is the only book that I own that is leather-bound. So right from the beginning, even before you open up a single page inside of the Bible, it looks different than any other book that you read. But that's not all. Then you can open up the Bible, and you'll notice that the Bible feels different than any other book that you've ever read. Have you ever noticed that the pages inside of your Bible are thinner than they are in any other book? Anybody ever notice that? Like four people. Good. I'm glad you're paying attention to the Bible. But there's a reason why the pages in the Bible are thinner than any other book that you read. You realize the Bible is made up of 66 different books, which are made up of 1,200, almost 1,200 chapters, which are made up of over 30,000 verses, which are made up of nearly 750,000 words. What that means is if we printed the Bible on normal paper at the typical font size we're used to reading, the Bible would fill up eight volumes instead of one book. So you would have to come to church every Sunday carrying like the Harry Potter series with you instead of just carrying one book with you. So that's why the Bible feels different. It's printed on thinner pages because it's such a large book. But because of that, the Bible looks different because a lot of them are leather-bound. The Bible feels different because the pages inside of it are, are thinner than what we're used to reading. And the Bible is even arranged differently than the other books that we typically read, right? I mean, unless you're sitting around reading ancient poetry, you don't own a book uh, that has verse numbers in it anywhere. It's just not something that's used in literature today. So when you have the Bible in your hands, you're talking about something that looks different, it feels different, it's arranged differently than any other book that you're used to using, that you're used to reading. So when we get ready to sit down and read the Bible, it feels intimidating for us because we're not used to what the Bible is. And that's not even talking about the problems that we sometimes have with the way the Bible is translated and the language that is sometimes used depending on your translation. But the Bible can be an intimidating book. But, but if you keep a few tips in mind, a few tips in mind, there's not a person inside of this room this morning, not a person that can hear my voice who can't feel more comfortable and more confident when you read the Bible. So with all of that in mind, we're going to get straight into the tips, and I'll encourage you inside of your bulletin, there's a sermon note section, write down these tips as we go along this morning. So let's get straight to tip number one. Tip number one is if you want to read the Bible more effectively, you need to be consistent. 
If you want to read the Bible more effectively, you need to be consistent. And what I mean by that is we need to think about reading the Bible like we think about exercise. Now, the problem that a lot of us have when it comes to exercise is we think that once we get it in our mind that we're going to hit the gym, that our life is going to be transformed overnight. A lot of us think that just by walking into the gym and picking up those two-pound weights and curling them 20 times, that we're going to have biceps like the rocks when we wake up the next morning. But that's not the way that it works. Transformations don't take place overnight. As a matter of fact, in an article that he did earlier this year with bodybuilding.com, that's right, I read bodybuilding.com, if you couldn't tell, at least one article. The Rock says that part of the secret to his success is that he works out six days a week. And if he isn't consistent, if he's not working out six days a week, then he's not going to look like the living action figure that he actually looks like. He's going to look, well, more like I do. Uh, consistency is key. So if you want results at the gym, you've got to stick to it. You got to keep going. You have to be consistent to see the results that you want. And if you stop going, if you stop working out, then you're never going to see your body transform the way that you imagine it could be. Well, the same thing is true for the Bible. When you sit down for the first time this week and you read one of the assigned readings that we have for this week, your life isn't going to be automatically transformed by what you read. You're not going to read that passage and become the next Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. It's not the way that it works. That's not the way that it works. If just reading a few verses, a few dozen verses from the Bible doesn't transform us instantaneously. But if you stick to it, if you keep going, if you keep reading, if you are consistent with it, the Bible will start to change you. The Bible will start to transform you. The Bible will help turn you into the person that God wants you to be. The Apostle Paul, who is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, explains what God wants all of us to be in a letter that he writes to the churches in the ancient city of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, this is what Paul tells us God wants for all of us. It says, God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks that people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. So this is what God wants for us, according to Paul. God wants us to grow in our faith. God wants us to mature. God wants us to become more like Jesus. But that doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't become a mature adult overnight. You don't go from being six years old to being 60 years old in the blink of an eye. It takes time to mature. It also takes time to grow. It takes time for us to become more like Jesus. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes consistency. It takes a commitment to all of these things for us to grow, for us to mature, for us to become more like Jesus. So to read the Bible more effectively, you have to be consistent when you read the Bible. You can't just read it one day and sit it down and not come back to it for months or even years. You can't sit it down on a bookshelf and let it collect and gather dust until Jesus comes back. If you want to be maturing, growing, becoming who God made you to be, you have to be consistent 
with the way you read the Bible. And the way that we're asking you to read the Bible here at Melbourne Heights is going to make it easier for you to be consistent in your approach to reading the Bible. We're asking you to read five passages over the course of a week. And these five passages each take about 15 minutes to read. That's an hour and 15 minutes over the course of the week that you're going to spend reading the Bible. So if you do this for five days, one reading each day for five days, guess what? You will have read the Bible for five days. You will have read the Bible for five days, or you will have read the Bible consistently. And when you do, you'll see that the reading that you're doing is going to start changing you. It may not happen this week. It may not happen next week. It may not happen over the eight weeks that we're committing right now to start reading through the Bible together. But when you're consistent about it, spending time in God's Word every day, you'll start seeing that your life is changing that you're maturing as a follower of Jesus, that you're becoming more like Christ. So commit to being consistent this week. Commit to being consistent in the reading of the Bible. And know that the more that you read the Bible, the more the Bible's going to change you. The more that you read the Bible, the more the Bible is going to change you. So commit to being consistent with it. All right, so that's tip number one. Tip number one, be consistent. Let's move on to tip number two. Tip number two, if you want to read the Bible more effectively, you need to read the Bible with a friend. You need to read the Bible with a friend. Now, that may sound weird to some of you, and it sounded kind of weird to me when I was writing it up and getting ready for it to go on the screen, because I've been told for like most of my life that when I want to read the Bible, I need to go off on my own and I need to have a quiet time, right? How many of you have been told that when you read the Bible, you have to do it in the quiet, have a quiet time? whole lot of people. And every time that I've ever had somebody tell me that I need to have a quiet time when I read the Bible, they point to the example of Jesus. And you know what? People are absolutely right. There are plenty of stories inside of the Gospels where Jesus goes off on his own to be alone with God, to have that quiet time. But when we say that we're missing part, an important part of Jesus' story, because even, even though there are plenty of times when Jesus goes off on his own to be alone with God, there are far more times inside of the Gospels when Jesus is with his closest friend, his friends, his disciples, and they're talking about the Scripture. They're exploring what the Bible says together. They're learning from one another. And this is Jesus we're talking about, okay? This is Jesus we're talking about. This is God-made human. If there's ever been anyone who has walked the face of the earth that could journey through faith on their own, it's Jesus. He didn't need anybody else around him. But the fact that Jesus chose these close friends to have around him, to share his faith with, to speak, to read, to explore Scripture with, it tells us something important about who we are, about our faith, and about what God wants for us. And this is what it tells us. It tells us that our faith is not meant to be lived out alone. Our faith is not meant to be lived out alone, and your faith is not meant to be lived out alone. It's supposed to be lived in community with close friends. And something amazing happens when we actually read the Bible together, when we discuss the Bible together, when we explore the Bible together. Jude, who is Jesus' brother, tells us about it in a letter that he writes to help the early churches, early Christians in the early churches. In the book of Jude, verses 20 through 22, this is what he writes. But you, dear friends, build each other up on the foundation of your most holy faith. Pray, pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep each other in the love of God. 
Wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will give you eternal life. And have mercy. Have mercy on each other, especially those who have doubt. So what Jude's telling us here, what Jude's telling us is that when we read the Bible, when we explore Scripture together, when we talk about our faith with our friends, we build each other up. We build each other up and we help each other grow in our relationship with God. But how exactly does that work? Well, it works in a whole lot of different ways. When we're together with our friends and we're exploring Scripture, there's a lot of different ways uh, that it helps us grow in our faith. But I want to talk about the way that I've experienced this the most in my life. You know, whenever I sit down and I read the Bible, it never seems to take long before I run across a verse or a passage or a story that steps on my toes. It never takes long before I run across something inside of the Bible that convicts me at least a little bit. Like inside of the Gospel of Matthew, which is Matthew's biography of the life of Jesus, you run across Jesus saying this. Jesus says, you have heard that it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I can get behind that, okay? I want to stop reading at that point in the story because it's easy to love your neighbor and it's even easier to hate your enemy, right? And that's what they've been taught for years. But when I'm reading with a friend, my friend's not going to let me stop right at there, right at that passage of Scripture that says, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. My friend's going to point out, hey, you know Jesus keeps going. Jesus isn't finished talking yet. You need to read the rest of the passage. And the rest of the passage says, but I say to you, love your enemies, love your enemies, and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. Now, do you see what I mean when I say that the Bible can step on your toes sometimes? It's easy to love your neighbor, and it's easy to hate your enemy, but Jesus is saying you need to love your enemy, and you need to pray for those who harass or those who persecute you. That's hard. That's hard, and it's way easier for me to just skip that passage of Scripture altogether and say, I don't want to pay attention to that. But when I'm reading with somebody else, they're going to call me on it. They're going to say, no, you can't just love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says you're supposed to love them both. You're supposed to pray for those people who harass you and give you a tough time in life, and you're supposed to do it for a reason. You're supposed to do that because when you do, when you love your enemy, when you pray for people who are harassing you, you are acting as a child of God. So if you're not doing that, if you're not loving your enemy, if you're not praying for those people who harass and persecute you, you are not acting as a child of God. So reading with a friend is going to hold me accountable. They're going to make sure that not only am I reading the whole passage, but they're going to make sure I'm trying to live out that passage as well. On my own, it's easy to skip over the hard stuff. It's easy to say, oh, I didn't read that part. Let's just move on to the next section of it. But with a friend, when you're reading with a friend, you can't. You can't skip over the hard stuff. And that's just one advantage of reading the Bible together with a friend. And I could talk with you more about them, but I would rather you experience the benefits of reading the Bible together with other people for yourself. So starting next week, we're going to give you the chance to come together with other people, with some of your friends, and discuss what you've been reading inside of the Bible, to talk about your faith, to learn together. So we're going to have small groups that are meeting on Sundays and Mondays, and we want you to look at that list inside of your bulletin, that guide about when these groups are meeting, where they're meeting, and who's leading them, and pick out a time that works for you to participate inside of one of these groups. So be a part of one of these groups. Be a part of reading the Bible together with some of your friends and see the difference that it can make in your faith 
and in your life too. All right, so there's the first two tips. If you want to read the Bible more effectively, you need to be consistent and you need to read it with a friend. Let's move on to the third tip this morning, and it's my favorite one. This is the one that I use more than anything else when I am reading the Bible. Third tip, if you want to read the Bible more effectively, you have to ask questions. You have to ask questions about what you're reading. Now, you may have been told at some point along the way that the Bible is kind of like the answer book for all of life's hard questions. But you know what? It's not. It's not. From the very beginning, God makes this crystal clear to us that the Bible is not meant to answer all of life's questions by the very people that God calls to be his people inside of the Bible. God calls the people of Israel to be his people inside of the Bible. Do you know what the name Israel means? It means wrestles with God. Wrestles with God. God doesn't call people and name his people, have all the answers. God calls his people and he names his people those who will wrestle with God. From the very beginning, God hasn't wanted us to have all of the answers. God has wanted us to wrestle with our faith. And why is that? Well, it's simple. Your faith doesn't grow if you are spoon-fed all of the answers. Your faith doesn't grow if you are spoon-fed all of the answers. Your faith grows when you struggle with the difficult questions, when you have to make your way through to discover answers for yourself. You can think about it like the story of the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, right? Butterflies, they, they come together in their chrysalis. And if they are freed from the chrysalis, their wings never develop. They never become the mature, beautiful butterflies that we're used to seeing. But if you let them struggle through to fight their way out of that chrysalis that's encasing them, they grow, they develop the muscles, the strength, the beauty of their wings, and they're able to be the butterflies. The same thing happens for us. If we are able to struggle through, to wrestle with the issues of our faith, we grow. Or you think about it, like back in the day when you were in school, right? When you were in school, did you learn more from the lectures that your teachers gave? You know, that hour when they would stand behind a desk, a podium, whatever it was, and just teach? Or did you learn more when, you're, when you had to work on something, work on a project yourself? Now, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I went to school for 23 years from the time I started kindergarten until the time I graduated with my master's degree. 23 years. I don't remember a single lecture I heard in 23 years. Don't tell my professors, they'll feel bad. But I don't remember a single lecture that I heard in 23 years. But I can still vividly talk with you about projects that I had to work on when I was in middle school. Okay, there's something about doing it for yourself instead of being handed the answers that makes it stick with you, that makes it real. And that's why God wants us to struggle. That's why God wants us to ask the difficult questions. That's why God wants us to wrestle with it, because that makes it mean so much more. It sticks with us. It hangs with us. It's the work. It's the struggle. It's the wrestling. It's the questioning that helps our faith grow. That's why Paul says in a letter that he writes to the church in Philippi, this. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses here uh, that we translate as work, what it really means is to work down to an end point, to keep going till you reach 
the end. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that we shouldn't take the answers that we get inside of church at face value. We should keep going until we get down to the bottom of it. Jesus. Jesus demonstrates himself just how important asking questions is to the life of faith. Inside of the Gospels, Jesus is asked over 180 questions. Jesus is asked over 180 questions. Do you know how many questions Jesus directly answers inside of the Gospels? He's asked 180. He directly answers three. Jesus tells us that we're supposed to forgive 77 times. He tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is to love our neighbor. And he explains why the disciples are unable to cast out a demon. Those are the three questions that Jesus directly answers inside of the Gospels. So what about the other 180 questions that Jesus gets asked, right? I mean, because Jesus isn't rude. He doesn't ignore people when they ask him questions. Jesus responds, and how does he respond to all of these questions that he's asked? He asks more questions. Jesus asks over 300 questions inside of the Gospels. 300 questions. That means he asks 100 100 times more questions than he directly answers. And why does he do it? Because asking questions is important. Asking questions is important to helping us grow in our faith and to make our faith our own. So we want to make asking questions easy for you as we start reading through the Bible together as a church. So we're encouraging you every day when you finish reading through the passage that's assigned for that day to go back and ask five questions of the passage that you just read. Here are those five questions. What stood out to you? What stood out to you in the passage that you just read? What bothered you inside of the passage that you just read? What other questions arose while you were reading this passage? What did you learn inside of this passage about loving God? And what did you learn in this passage about loving other people? Now, you don't have to memorize those. All of those are are printed on the bookmarks that we have inside of the Bibles we're passing out. They're also printed inside of the composition notebooks that we have. But we want to make it easy for you to start asking these questions every time that you sit down and you explore Scripture and you read the Bible. So those are the three tips. Be consistent when you're reading the Bible. Read it with a friend, and ask questions while you're reading. All right? Three simple tips to help you read the Bible more effectively. But you know what? They don't do any good unless you actually use them. Okay? These don't do any good for you unless you actually use them. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to be consistent, to participate in our small groups and read with friends, to ask questions and then talk about them. Because none of this matters. The last 20 minutes that we've spent together means absolutely nothing if you don't use these tips. So put them into practice. Be consistent by reading the passages that we're asking you to read each day over the course of this week. And then at the end of the week, get together inside of a small group. And then spend time in that group talking about these questions, asking those five questions I just mentioned as you read. It's three tips, three simple things. But if you'll do those three simple things, you'll see how much the Bible can start changing you and transforming you 
and making you into the person that God created you to be. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that we've had together in this place this morning and the chance that we've had to think about how we can read the Bible more effectively, God. So my prayer is that as we start into this this new time of reading through the Bible together as a church, that you allow each one of us to put these tips into practice. Help us to be consistent, God, to read each of these passages of Scripture over the course of this week. Help us to participate with a friend by coming together in these small groups to share and discuss together. Help us to ask questions and to spend time listening and learning from each other as well. Help us to be changed and transformed by your word into the people that you want us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everybody, it's Adam again. I hope that this sermon challenged you, encouraged you, and inspired you to take the next step in your relationship with Christ. If it did, then take a second and subscribe to our podcast. We drop a new sermon every Monday, and if you subscribe, you'll never miss it. And if you'd like to help someone else take the next step in their relationship with Christ, then take a minute and leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Your review goes a long way to help us share this podcast with others.